Hi, I'm Alex Dickey. And I'm Peter Rohde, and welcome to Terminally Quantum, recorded at the Quantum Terminal in Sydney, Australia, where we discuss everything quantum. The Quantum Terminal is a first-of-its-kind co-working quantum hub that supports startups in quantum technology, high-performance computing, artificial intelligence, and adjacent technology companies. TQT provides the perfect energy convenience and community mix to attract new networking partners in the iconic Central Station Sydney Terminal building. Today's guest we have is Viliana. Um, Currently, her role is strategic engagement lead at Quintessence Labs, and she works here from the Quantum Terminal. In addition to this, she is the co-founder of the non-profit organisation Quantum Women. Uh, Viliana, thank you so much for coming. Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit more about your background? Well, thank you, Alex, for having me. I'm very pleased to be here today. My background, I I think I've had a quite a varied background that has spanned technology, investment banking, back into technology, and now particularly quantum technology. I started out in the mid-90s working for a software development company, a financial software development company. And back then, um, there wasn't really a thing like startups per se. We were a company of maybe 50, 60 people. I ended up doing a lot of different things other than programming. And looking back now, I think it's more categorized as um, product management today, where I would really liaise with customers, both on sales and customer support, but also go back to the programmers and sit with them and talk to them about features and how we want a certain product to be built. After that, after business school, I then transitioned into investment banking, where I did various different roles, um, ranging from taking companies public, leverage buyouts, even drug royalty monetization, and then investor relations and asset management, after which I then transitioned back into technology. Actually, here in Sydney, I helped um, lead a AI speech analytics company um, where the roles I had were more commercial in nature, helping with go-to-market strategy, capital raising. Five years ago, I made the transition um, from finance to startups uh, where I helped lead an AI speech analytics company here in Sydney. We were sort of at the seed series A stage. And so my role was very varied um, and including setting the strategic direction of the business relating to go to market, customer success, product development and capital raising. My transition to quantum really started two years ago when I had the opportunity to join Sydney Quantum Academy as the industry engagement manager. And this was an opportunity to, I think, leverage my skills and experience in strategy and business development and then use that to connect the academics with industry or academia with industry through mutual beneficial partnerships. That's quite a diverse background and you're actually our first guest from a non-science background. Well, actually, you're only our second guest in total, but our first one from a non-science background. And I'm sure the listeners would like to know, how did you first learn about quantum and what made you decide that that's the direction you'd like to go in coming from such a distinct background? Well, I think I think I've always had a curious mind and I think I've always challenged myself to do things outside of my comfort zone. Quantum sounded interesting, and to be honest, um, two and a half years ago, I didn't know anything about quantum. But I think what the SQA role allowed me is bring value 
to the organization and the team through my transferable skills and then also pick up and, and hopefully down the line contribute um, to the quantum industry. So for me, I I've, I've just find the, the possibilities of the technology, I think I find fascinating. Interesting. So why quantum specifically? You've mentioned that you've worked in AI before, but why not delve deeper into working for, say, AI or machine learning in a, in a similar role? Um, I think in life, there are things you control and I think the direction in which you want your life and career to go. And then there are things that happen. And so I think to me, quantum was something that happened. I quite enjoyed learning about it. I really enjoyed the people that I came in in contact with, uh, the academic quantum community um, and uh, through the SQA. So just sort of stayed that way. And leading into my current role, I got to know the founder of Quintessence Labs, Vikram Sharma, through SQA. And what he was doing, again, was was fascinating me. And particularly around this time last year when Quintessence Labs raised uh, quite a significant amount of money in uh, a Series B round, I started thinking about that perhaps there are ways, again, for me to be useful and help the company grow because the team up to that point has been very technical. And I I understood that as they as they wanted to grow, expand both domestically and internationally, I think there are ways I could actually be very useful with my background. Can you tell us about what Quintessence actually does? What, what do they do and what are the goals of Quintessence? Well, Quintessence Labs, we operate at the intersection of cybersecurity and quantum technology. We were founded um, about 15 years ago. And our mission uh, is really to protect data, uh, digital assets from cybersecurity adversaries of today and tomorrow, um, namely attacks from quantum computers. Our initial focus was on quantum key distribution, but I think you can argue back then that we were a bit too early. And so since then, QLabs has built a suite of hardware and software solutions uh, in the cybersecurity space. And in our hardware, we have embedded components that leverage quantum technology to provide this crypto-agile cybersecurity infrastructure. Um, we're doing it on the premises and the cloud and in hybrid IT systems. One of that includes the uh, quantum random number generator that is really embedded in a encryption key and policy management hardware appliance that we have. So in terms of Australia as a location for making a startup like this, I mean, there, there, there's an increasing number in Australia, but predominantly the startup space is still dominated by the United States and Europe where there's better access to capital. How do you think Australia is as a location for creating a quantum startup and what's the environment like, the business environment? I think from a talent and energy and ideas perspective, I think Australia is a, is a fantastic place to be, a fantastic environment to uh, grow your business and, and sort of commercialize your idea. Um, I don't think there's a secret. Australia is a small market. And so if you really do want to see that large growth, you need to go internationally, whether it be uh, Asia, US um, or Europe. 
Mm. Um, I'd like to bring it back to, to yourself for a second. I guess there's, you know, we always talk about building the quantum ecosystem, specifically here within Sydney. Um, and a part of that is getting talent from other sectors to, to use their transferable skills, such as yourself, within the quantum ecosystem. Do you have any advice for other quantum startups around Sydney on how to attract people like yourself into their companies and how to create an environment, um, create roles that they're attracted to and create an environment where they want to stay? Oh, that is that is a loaded question in some <laughs> ways. <laughs> I think there's, there's a desire on both parties to be part, I guess, of each other's um, professional lives and build something together. But I also think there's a lot of learning and, and understanding that each party needs, needs to have. One of the things that I see when, if you're a scientist and if you're, you, you've worked on, on, on something for a long time and you want to build, you know, you want to build a business around it. And I mentioned it to somebody else the other day. I think there's a lot of focus on hierarchy and, and, and titles more than there is on outcomes. And I think it's the team is so important at that early stage. And it's really realizing who is it that's going to help take your company and your idea to the stage that you want to go. So if you're an academic, for example, and um, you have, you know, you own the IP, should you be the CEO or should you be the chief scientific officer or should you be something else based on your skill set, things that you're good at or bad at, things that you enjoy doing or don't enjoy doing, and then trying to fill, build a team with those people that fill those gaps. For example, a CEO role is a very much sales focused role. So you really got to like being out there, talking to people, going to networking events, really telling anybody and everybody about your company. And if you're more of an introvert and don't enjoy doing that, then find the right person who's going to do that. And I think that's one of the elements I think when you have to think about to attract the right people, um, because once it's not just attracting them, it's actually giving them the opportunity to deliver what they were hired to do. And I think that's sort of that trust of, you know, I might not understand why this person is doing so, but they have a 20, 30 year track record. So I'm going to believe that. And the other, you know, the other side, the commercial person might not understand how a certain technology is being built, but has to trust that the people building it know what they're doing so there's a lot of trust I think and I think that's a that's a journey I think to actually to get to trust each other mm. you, you mentioned before that you you were saying despite Australia being a relatively small market that it's a good place to do business and to create startups do you think that there are things that Australia could be doing better whether it be at the political level or, or at a more grassroots level to make it easier for the startup space to, to prosper and to flourish in a new field like this? Um, so what I, from my personal observation, what I've seen, I think the government has done a really good job in creating incentives um, to help sort of seed uh, startup companies. 
But I think a lot of those incentives come from grants, and grants are not continuous in nature. And so you're always wondering sort of where your next dollar is going to come from. So one of the things, and I'm sure this is not necessarily very controversial, but trying to find a way for the government to be that initial customer, because if if I'm running a company, I'd rather get, I don't know, a two, three-year, $500,000 contract as government as a user than a one-off um, grant, because there are other things that come out of that. Once you actually have a customer, the mentality with the, and I know this from my prior startup, the mentality within the startup changes. You actually have somebody who's finding your product useful. And what they can also do is help you develop that product further from feedback. Mm. Uh, And so there's always certain, I guess, pride that you actually have a paying customer versus just a grant. There must be quite a psychological distinction between being dependent upon grants and being dependent upon customers. Yes. A a difference in the sense of appreciation for what you do. Yes. And I... just because you're a customer doesn't mean you're going to be a customer forever, right? But it is definitely a change in mentality that right now we have this customer. They might stop being customer when the one-year contract is up or they might not. But it, the, there is a mentality of ongoing or going concern that I think definitely changes everything and how you behave as a startup internally. And, and that's really just the mentality, I think, of changing from a purely academic-focused field to, a, to, a, to an industry field where you have, you know, in academia you get a grant and you, you research a topic and then you produce a paper, whereas as, in, as a part of industry you get a customer, you, you complete your contract and then you get paid. So it's a very different kind of um, mentality and it's very useful to have people like you in the field to be reframing the way that we create these businesses, not just in the frame of academia, but in the frame of a business and industry. Yeah. And I think also when you have a customer, I think you have hope, mm. you know, yeah. and I think that that fuels you as well. And like we said, the rug can be pulled underneath of you anytime, but there's hope. There's hope that this can continue in perpetuity. I, I can guarantee you that doesn't apply to people who are uh, like academics who are dependent upon grants. <laughs> Very often they run out of hope. <laughs> Do you have any, like, because you've had obviously quite an extensive experience in in kind of investment banking in the finance sector, sector sorry. Um, how, how has that kind of informed your move into the quantum ecosystem? How many of those skills have you found to be transferable? All of them? Some of them? 50%? I think for what I'm doing, quite a lot. Like I'm... I'm not going to become a quantum scientist anytime soon. But I think communication, relationship management, empathy, strategy, I think those are all very transferable skill sets. You just maybe apply them a little bit differently. But um, yeah, for right now, I think um, the majority of, of my experience have been transferred into the role that I do. Recently, you have founded this amazing initiative um, and formed this non-profit organization called Quantum Women. Uh, What is Quantum Women? So we are a professional organization that have been created to elevate, empower and inspire current um, and future women leaders in quantum technology. Personally, I believe a lot of 
effort and attention is placed, I think what we call the top of the funnel and the outreach, you know, getting more women into STEM from high school into universities into PhDs. But I think once you're done with all that and, you know, go out in the workforce, you're, you're almost left to fend for yourself. And so that's the part where we we're, we're hoping, um, at least at this time, until we grow into, we have a, you know, we have grand ambitions, but really addressing this and making sure that the women, at least those who have self-selected in quantum technology or other STEM areas, but quantum technology in particular, how can we make sure that they actually stay and don't exit the workforce down the line? I spent my entire career in a very male-dominated um, industry. And looking back, there are things I think I would have done differently or handled differently, but hindsight, twenty twenty, right? And so what I noticed at SQA and as I got to know the community, both men and women, I noticed how extremely male-dominated that is, even much more than investment banking. And so... I started to think, are there, are there something I can do with my experiences to help these women stay resilient throughout their careers? And it, initially it started with, you know, what can we do as opposed to actually having a more targeted approach? And what I also realized is I might have views of what I think the younger generation needs based on my experiences, but I am not that younger generation. And so I was very fortunate to partner up with a third-year quantum PhD student called um, Irene Fernandez-DeFuentes from UNSW. Uh, and so I think my background and my perspective combined with her perspective, I think would be a good combination to really deliver value to the younger generation. And we have also added a whole team who, who would like to help out, which I think has been really fantastic. So what, what do we do? The way we've structured right now is that everything we do, whether it be meetups or seminar or some sort of event, we categorize it into three pillars called Elevate, Empower, and Inspire. Um, the Elevate pillar is all about elevating the, the, the women's voice, whether it be in a public setting, private setting, whether it be on in, in, in panels and social media in meetings and really structure, um, structure events that can either bring a certain skill to them or that can you know, participate in some events that's going to help them get them into these positions. The Empower One is a lot about connections, networking, community, and other kinds of skills that's going to help you really stay strongly connected uh, to the workplace. And then Inspire is really, I think we find inspiration from many different places. And so it's to organize sessions and events where people can hear from others, whether it be within science, outside of science or quantum, and feel inspired. Um, I'll give you an example on our launch in June, we actually had a fantastic 
panel of three amazing women, Michelle Simmons, um, Sue Coppersmith, and Maya Cassidy. And even though we had an organized sort of like a Q&A session, it went into a more of a storytelling session. And afterwards, a woman came up to me and said, this was great. I don't feel so alone anymore. And so I hope, even though we didn't necessarily set out to inspire particularly, I hope she was inspired. Um, and whatever that, wherever that comment came from, I hope hearing from these women, you know, made her feel that she can, you know, stay and endure and, and really, I think, uh, bring great benefits to humanity by, from, from the field that she has chosen. It's a, it's a very young venture uh, still at this point, but um, despite being still very young, are there any standout achievements that you've had that you're particularly proud of? Any, anything that, that really stands out as a, as a notable achievement from Quantum Women so far? Yeah, it, it is a young venture indeed. We've only had two sessions so far. Um, part of the reason is because the last couple of months we've been focused on getting the governance straight, which is it's not an easy task, especially since neither one of us are lawyers and have dealt with this before. But I think we're at a point where we're ready for that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel everything has been. The, the launch was fantastic. Yeah. Um, the the um, response from the community I think was fantastic. And the words of encouragement that we've gotten uh, privately about what we're doing. For initial event, that sounds like a standout achievement. Yeah. And we're also planning, we have another event coming up in about two weeks Mm -hmm. uh, where we have managed to secure two really senior professionals who have a lot of experience running panels, managing panels, uh, running industry events. And the idea is to have them talk about their experiences and, and give them tips and tricks of the trade to for women to really understand or for viewers and members to understand how they can get on panels, what needs to be done if you're going to be a moderator uh, and really how to help strengthen their voice. So I'm I'm hoping in a couple of weeks' time that would be a great achievement. That's awesome. Um, You talked a little bit before about your aspirations for Quantum Women, but I'd like you to talk more about it. What are your long-term goals? Where do you see Quantum Women in in five years' time? Dream as big as you want. (laughs) So in five years' time, the reason I find that a, a tough question at this point is I personally struggle with growth versus impact and to say oh I want us to be 5,000 members strong I want us to be in every country etc versus whether we're 100 or 200 or 300 I, I, I want us in five years time to whom, whomever has been in touch with us um, our community our members I would like for us to have strengthened them mentally uh, made an impact into their lives so I don't know whether that's a hundred women or whether that's a thousand women um, but I would I do want to make I, want, I would like us to make an impact to, to those within our community. So however, whatever the number is, the main po- point is that it makes a difference to, to their lives and their careers in the field. Yes. So uh, what do you actually see as the, the major challenges that women face in this sector? Obviously, I'm a guy and so I have a very different lived experience. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me, what, what, are the, what, are the, what are the big obstacles these days that, that women face in trying to get into this field? or once they're in the field? 
some of the things I've heard is, I guess, sometimes feeling ignored and underappreciated. Things like having to fight to be staffed on on interesting or the right kind of projects. And um, I'll... um, I'll share with you actually a recent personal story mm. of mine where I was, there was somebody external who assumed, and I can only imagine how, but I don't know the workings of that person, that I was the executive assistant. And there was nothing in communications prior to that that had made that assumption. Right. So sort of how do you, I don't know, how do you, how do you categorize that? There's nothing wrong with EAs, but there was an assumption made. Um, that sort of subconscious stereotypes kind of thing. Perhaps, right? And, and it, it, it affected my day. Mm. Like it, 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 it annoyed me uh, and it affected the work for the rest of the day. But, and this is part of the reason uh, we're building this community is instead of, I thought about snapping back. And then what I did instead is I vented to a small set of, of, of women mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of, you know, can you believe this, et cetera, et cetera. And then I composed myself and then I addressed it um, in a professional way. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of, yeah, so what are the things? All kinds of things. And they happen when, I think, when you least expect it. Uh, but I imagine that if things like that are happening on a regular basis, it just wears you down o- over time. It does. It, it, it does for sure. Um, I don't think there's, uh, there's an easy button. I think also there are a lot of things in life that wears you down that are not necessarily gender-based. Mm. And that I think that is what we're trying to create with Quantum Women. How can we help you stay resilient? whether it is access to the community to vent, whether it is to acquire a skill set, whether it's just to, you know, go to an event and just meet people and talk to people. I guess I could add to that, if I may, um, also increasing the visibility for successful women in the field to break down those stereotypes and and subconscious assumptions that are being made. And I think these these are generational shifts and so, yes, I think slowly things will happen. I mean, I, I grew up in Sweden. These are never things that we even considered back then, I think. And in some ways, that made me quite naive when I entered investment banking in New York City because I never looked at myself differently. And so I didn't necessarily pick up on these um, male, female type of, of roles and expectations. But yeah, no, I do think that we need to create a community, have the right skill set, portray women in a very strong way publicly. Um, and those are some of the many things I think we're just, just starting to tackle at Quantum Women. We are quite lucky in Australia that we've had some incredibly successful women in our field in particular who have got enormous visibility, like you mentioned Michelle Simmons before, who was also Australian of the Year. Um, that That's quite extraordinary visibility for a very successful woman in our field. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, but we need more. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of the things that we hear is um, the community wants mentors mm. and they want female mentors. And we can't all descend on on a handful of, of, of female mentors. We have to create more um, so that at, you know, 10, 15 years from today, those that are come after us, they're going to have these choices. It's, we don't have these choices today, so there are many other ways we're going to have to cope. But I think it, it is our obligation to um, create many, many more of these so that, um, in ten, like I said, in, in 10, 15 years, people have many more choices than we have today. Is there any particular advice that you would give to the next generation of younger women in particular who are interested in moving into this field, who might be along the way subject to the sorts of things that you discussed? What piece of advice would you give them to help them navigate their way in a field which is still quite male-dominated? I think it depends how far back you go. I think if you're sort of in high school and thinking about what to study in university, continue to follow your passion and your curiosity because if you do, I think you're naturally going to be good at it. Find support networks um, and seek out help and advice uh, so that you can persevere. And I guess I'm going to say, but sometimes, you know, life's tough. Just, just, Gets deal with it. There's not always going to be a support network, but find ways um, to persevere, whether it be help through help or, or on your own. But don't, it's easier to say for me, don't be dissuaded for, for um, when you face challenges. Mm. But I, I realize that's much easily said than done. That's also a very good universal piece of advice. <laughs> But it, I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess it is. And the thing is, you're also never going to know when opportunities present themselves. So don't be afraid to jump on an opportunity. I remember when I first was almost, when I was moving here or right before, well, before I even had a job, somebody approached me and said, there's a, there's a role in Melbourne at this particular company. Would you like to interview for it? And I said, yes, absolutely. And after I hung up, I Googled, you know, Melbourne, take a flight to Melbourne. <laughs> I've never been to Melbourne, but I already, you know, I, I say, yes, of course I'm going to interview for it. Um, and at least it's easy to make the decision once you actually have the opportunity in your hand. So I think pursue those opportunities and then when they're actually real in front of you, decide whether you want to act on them or not. And just one last question following on from all of that. Do you think that the whole landscape of women in STEM and women in quantum in particular, do you think it's improving for the better over time? Do you, do you see gradual or any kind of improvements over time in your experience? I haven't any, seen any statistic or don't know any statistics at the back of my, you know, back of my head to, to tell whether that is or not. But uh, one thing that I have noticed or one thing where the world, I guess, has changed is the ability to actually reach out and connect to others. Back before there was the internet or, or compl- you know, public access to the internet, you felt isolated. And I can remember, I mean, even in, in, in uni, one of my homeworks was to send the professor an email. I mean, that was where we started from sort of back in the early mid-90s. Uh, so 
at least when you're facing challenges, I think that it, what has changed is that you can actually reach out to other like-minded. You are aware of the community mm. instead of feeling that you're um, doing, you know, going through the struggle by yourself. And you can also connect to an international community um, to get other viewpoints and hear other experiences as opposed to just locally. So I think the environment is changing and I hope that's going to help women in STEM mm. actually stay in STEM. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all about um, attracting women to STEM. It's also about retention of women in STEM. That's I know. Right. That's um, right. a, a long um, ignored part of the movement. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug before we say goodbye? Yeah, sure. Um, on November 23rd, we are running a session on how to prepare and run panels, whether you're a moderator or a panelist, where we have secured two senior professional professionals outside of science. One of them is an expert in running and hosting industry events, panels, and committees targeting senior executives. And the other presenter is someone who has been um, both a moderator and panelist many times over. And so they are going to share uh, their knowledge and their experience. And then we have on December 15, together with the Quantum Terminal, we are having a end of year get together that I hope um, a lot of people are going to come to. And my understanding is we have live music with a local musician who has the voice of Michael Bublé. I heard him and yes, he does. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to that one. Thank you so much for joining us, Biliana. Um, we'd just like to make a mention of our sponsors, The Quantum Terminal. Please discover more by visiting thequantumterminal.com and book a tour through hello.tqt at thequantumterminal.com. Follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn, both at The Quantum Terminal. <laughs>